the world often tries to produce, uh, discover, uh, create, and the peace that God gives freely to anyone who puts their trust in Him. Uh, a lot of peace seems to be evasive. Uh, people try all kinds of measures to find it. Sometimes they figure that they've created it only to see it uh, slip away, slip out of their grasp. In the Christmas story, as recorded in Luke chapter 2, we read about angels making an announcement to shepherds the night of Jesus' birth. They told them a Savior had been born and that he was Christ the Lord. And so they said they could go into Bethlehem and they could see what they had told them about. And so the shepherds decided to do that. Before they could go, a host of uh, angels appeared to them, began praising God with these words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. In a world today where there is seemingly little peace, I hope each of you can find peace on earth. It begins by finding peace with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, maybe you recognize those words as the opening words of the Bible, book of Genesis. Genesis tells us that God created a perfect world. A world on this planet that we could enjoy, a world that would uh, be uh, just wonderful in every way. This world is a world of amazing ecosystems that are so complex and yet so beautiful that they still stagger the imaginations of the smartest scientists on earth. God put mankind at the pinnacle of this creation. We were given dominion over the rest of the creatures on planet earth. The first man and woman, of course, was named Adam and Eve. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us about God's creation of mankind, male and female, and gives us a very personal glimpse into the lives of these first two human beings. They were placed by God in an idyllic garden, the Garden of Eden. None of us can really imagine what a beautiful place it was. We might go to the nicest resort, nicest garden spot we could think of today, but it would just pale in comparison. They were placed there to work, to name the creatures, to take care of that garden. And it was a joyful life. And everything that they, in addition to everything that they could ever want or need, they even had daily fellowship with God himself. God gave Adam and Eve only one rule, one prohibition. He said that they could not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or they would die. But when you know it, that's the one tree they just really wanted to eat from. They could eat from everything else. There was one prohibition, and yet that was the thing they seemed to be focused in their attention. And, and so the serpent, Satan, came along, and he tempted Eve to eat of that tree, denying the consequences that God had said. He said, you eat of this, you're going to surely die. And the serpent said, you won't surely die. And so Eve ate. She enjoyed what she ate, and she shared the fruit with her husband. Adam also ate of the tree, and as soon as they did, their eyes were opened, and they saw things they had never seen before. As they ate, they were given the knowledge of good and evil. And they immediately knew that they stood guilty before God. They were sinful. First time they ever felt sinful or guilty or ashamed. They saw their own nakedness for the first time. And so they tied leaves together to make clothing for themselves. And then they went and they hid from God. They knew the relationship with God had been disturbed. 
God came looking for them because he knew what they had done. He pronounced judgment upon Adam and Eve for the sin that they had committed and cast them out of the garden. He pronounced curses upon them. Farming would no longer be easy. Work would no longer be easy. Childbirth would be painful. And from that day to this, their descendants have shared their sinful nature. They've shared a nature that is prone to sin, a nature that, that seems to want to choose the very worst things to do sometimes. Some generations past, God's perfect world was marred by sin. The beautiful creation he had made was broken. It was, it was scarred. Nature itself no longer worked perfectly. And generation after generation followed. The people worked together uh, eventually to build the Tower of Babel, we read in Genesis. They were so puffed up with pride, they tried to build a city reaching up into the heavens. They, they somehow thought that they might be able to, to be equal with God, to, to be up there with God. And so God came down and he confused their speech and he scattered them throughout the world. Because God takes sinful pride very seriously. He, he doesn't doesn't just let it go. He dealt with it decisively. Sometime after that, Noah came upon the scene. During the days of Noah, mankind grew so, so desperately wicked that God decided to wipe out the human race with a flood. Every culture in our world has a flood story. Everybody knows this happened, whether you've ever read the Bible or not, because there was this cataclysmic flood they killed everyone except Noah and his immediate family. They were the only decent people left. And so God started things over through them. God takes sin very seriously. Don't you know that this morning? God takes sin seriously. He just doesn't look the other way. And in the same way, God's judgment is coming upon you and me because of our sins. If you are a sinner today, you need to know that God will hold you responsible for your sins. Not the most pleasing message to hear, not the most pleasing message to preach, but God holds sinners accountable for their sins. He just doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't grade on a curve like our school teachers sometimes did. In fact, God doesn't say, I'll, I'll uh, not hold your sins against you because most of the time you're good. You know, that, that's good enough. Just kind of weigh it out. You do more good than bad and I'll let you off. No, the Bible says this. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 And if you and I have sinned just one time, the penalty is death. Now that's a sobering thought. God doesn't treat sin lightly. He takes it very seriously and so must we. Perhaps you've heard of a preacher named Rob Bell. Rob Bell last year, like many others before him, tried to say that God doesn't really take sin that seriously. He wrote a book called Love Wins. And he said that God is so loving, so God is so gracious, that he's going to give everyone an infinite number of chances to repent so that eventually he can save everyone from hell, save everyone from their sins. But that's not what the Bible says. I don't care if Rob Bell or anybody else said it, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we will all stand before God's judgment seat, Romans 14.10. The Bible says each of us will give an account of himself to God, Romans 14.12.
The Bible says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Hebrews 9.27 The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans uh, 3.23 All of us are guilty. All of us fall under the wrath and judgment of God for the sins we have committed against Him. And so this morning, as we're thinking about this, I know it's a very sobering thought, but we need to come to grips with that. We need to come to grips with that fact that, that without some kind of intervention, we stand condemned to die and to suffer in hell for eternity. And no amount of preaching about love and grace can change that. Rob Bell was wrong to say what he said. But then, that's not the end of the story, is it? Thank God that's not the end of the story. Let's talk about God's grace. Let's talk about God's love. Because it was starting to get a little uncomfortable in here anyhow. God's love and grace would not let him be content to leave us guilty and condemned. God's love and grace overrode the judgment that was certain and sure and provided a way of escape. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance so they can be saved, 2 Peter 3.9. Judgment is coming, but God may await of escape. God provided a sacrifice on our behalf. He gave someone who is willing to pay our penalty for us, and his name is Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, we read what God did. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Peace with God is not anything we can achieve on our own. Peace with God is a gift. Peace with God has already been made possible by what Jesus already did. And when he gave his life on the cross, he paid the sin penalty for everyone who will repent of their sin and put their trust in him. He paid the penalty of our sins for us so that we could go free. And he literally is our peace. Jesus is our peace with God. He has broken down the wall that separated us from God. He has restored us to fellowship with God once again. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Peace with God gives us eternity. When Jesus died in our place, he gave us eternal life. He made it possible for us to be with God forever. And this is very good. It's the best news you could possibly hear. That's why John said in 1 John 5, 11 through 13, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Peace with God gives us eternity. Everything hinges on Jesus. With Jesus, there's peace with God. Without Jesus, there is no peace with God. If you put your trust in Jesus, you can have peace with God. If you don't, you can't. It's really that simple. Not only peace with God gives us uh, eternity, but peace with God also makes a difference today. It changes the way we live day to day while still here on earth. Peace with God changes the way we live from now until eternity begins. One of America's greatest poets in the past was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. You've probably heard of him. You've probably read some of his poetry. You've probably sung some songs that were created from his poetry. He lived back in the 1860s. Uh, and of course, before and after that, but I want to focus on the 1860s. And the year 1860 was an election year. New president had been elected. Who was it? Good, all right, Abraham Lincoln. It was a very uh, happy time in Longfellow's life. He enjoyed this widening recognition as a poet. He'd become, you know, like this premier poet. He's elated over the election of Abraham Lincoln. He believed that eventually the, the freedom would triumph and, and our nation would kind of be redeemed from all the the uh, anger and all of the issues going on about slavery and states' rights and everything. But then it kind of fell apart. The following year, the Civil War began. On July 9, 1861, after the war had begun, Longfellow's wife, Fanny, was near an open window, sealing locks of her daughter's hair using what was hot sealing wax, the way that they did it then. Suddenly, his wife's dress caught fire and engulfed her in flames. And uh, Longfellow was sleeping in the next room. He's awakened by her screams, and he ran into the room. He desperately tried to put out the fire and save his wife. And he was severely burned in his face and his hands. And the next day, his wife died. His severe burns would not even allow him to attend her funeral. His white beard, which so identifies him to us today, was one of the results because he could no longer shave. It made it almost possible to shave. And in his diary... For Christmas Day, 1861, he wrote, How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. In 1862, the massive toll of war, dead, began to mount. And in his diary for that year, Longfellow wrote of Christmas, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. In 1863, Longfellow's son, who had run away to join the Union Army, was severely wounded and returned home just in December. And there was absolutely no entry in Longfellow's diary that Christmas day. But on Christmas Day, 1864, at age 57, Longfellow sat down to try to capture, if possible, the joy of the season once again. He began, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom, had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As he came to what would be his third stanza, he was stopped in thought by the hopeless condition of his beloved country. Battles of Gettysburg had just, just occurred not long before that, still in his mind. Days 
looked dark. It looked like the war would never end. And Longfellow asked himself, how can I write about peace on earth? In this war-torn country where brother fights against brother and father against son. He kept on writing, but what did he write? And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. When I've read those verses, I've thought, he could have been writing about today, couldn't he? He could have been writing about a day when there is little peace, when there are people at war with each other all around our globe, and when, when people's troubles and, and people are so, so hopeless today that there would be a, a very true statement. There is no peace on earth today. We sometimes feel there is no peace, and yet Longfellow turned next his thoughts to the one who gives true and perfect peace, and he continued writing, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, there's a, there's a peace that God brings to our lives that no one else can. There's a peace in your life and mine when we have hit those crises and those tragedies and, and we've dealt with struggles that, that would, would try to just overwhelm us and cripple us for life. And somehow the peace of God brings stability. The peace of God comes into our, our lives and all our worry and our anxieties and our fretting. And it brings comfort and joy and things that are indescribable. Peace with God gives us eternal life. Peace with God makes a difference day to day. And peace with God is something that has to be shared. It's, it's meant to be shared. It's meant for us who have experienced the peace of God to share it with people around us. Sharing that peace means sharing the good news of Jesus. That's where you and I come in. You and I are meant to share God's peace with the people around us, people that maybe you work next to, people that you go to school with, people that you live next door to, maybe someone in your own household. I want you to think of someone right now in your life that, that is hopeless, someone that, that is, is uh, really overwhelmed by their lives. Somebody that, that you care about, but you're not sure what you can do for them. Two weeks ago, we passed out some cards like this one, one-by-one one cards. Um, I guess many of you received that. If you didn't receive that, I've got a few extras here this morning. be glad to share those with you as we go to the door today. But on this card, it gives kind of a, a game plan of what to do about your, your uh, people in your life that need Christ yet in their lives. It talks about praying for them every day, identifying who those people may be, maybe three different people. And I've, I've written down the names of actually five different people, two on the first two lines, but then the third one, three people, the new neighbors that we have across the street. I don't even know their last name yet because we've just barely met. But the point is for us to be remembering every day in prayer those people who do not know Christ. And to take it as a serious, steadfast, daily responsibility to do what we can to influence their lives for Christ. To have a plan, to have a, uh, some actions that we take in order to be with them, to spend time with them, to serve them, 
to show God's love to them. And I hope that you are taking this very seriously because it's not a matter of the preacher or the youth minister or the elders and deacons being able to win and influence people for Christ. It's a matter of every single person in this room. Every single person that's a member of this congregation. The first thing to do is to figure out the people that God has already brought into your life or may soon bring into your life who need Jesus still. May God help us stay on task with that as we share God's peace with people who we know need, to G- need Jesus. Tony Campolo tells a story about being in a church in Oregon where he was uh, asked to pray for a man who had cancer. Just met the man um, and he, he prayed over him. And he prayed very boldly that God would heal this man. That next week, a few days later, he got this telephone call from the man's wife. She said, you prayed for my, my husband. He had cancer. And Campolo immediately thought when he heard her use the past tense verb that, that his cancer had been eradicated. But before he could think much about that, she said, he died. And Campolo felt terrible. But she continued. She says, you know, I don't, I don't want you to feel bad about this. When he came into that church that Sunday, he was so angry at God. He was blaming God for all the trouble of his life and for this cancer and how it was going to, to ruin all of his plans, all of his hopes for the future and all the time that he was going to spend. He was 58 years old and he just wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. And he was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. She said sometimes he would lie in his bed and just curse God, just throw curses up at the ceiling. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence, she said. But after you prayed for him, this strange peace came over my husband and a joy came into him. And he, he found peace with God. The last three days, he said, she said, Tony, have been the most wonderful days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we've prayed, and they, they have been wonderful days. And I call to thank you for just laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something very profound. She said, my husband wasn't cured, but he was healed. Do you have peace with God this morning? Whether you're 58 or 88 or 8 or somewhere in between, I hope you have experienced peace with God. Nobody can answer that question but you, but you know in your heart whether or not you've achieved or you've experienced and arrived at a place where you have peace with God. Have you discovered peace with God? The angels announced to the shepherd, peace on earth to men on whom God's favor rests. Are you such a person? Person on whom God's favor rests. Are you at peace with God? If not, do you want to be? Do you want to be at peace with God? The way to have peace with God is to put your faith in Him. To put your trust in Jesus. To to save your sins. To forgive you. You can't be saved from judgment without Him. You can try to make your good things stack up higher than your bad things. You can try to override them by a lot of good activities and good deeds and kindness and love and everything else you express now. But you cannot remove the fact that you have sinned. And because of that sin, you stand in judgment before God. 
The only way to have that removed is to accept what Jesus has already done for you, to put your trust in Him. If you put your trust in Jesus to guide you, to, to provide for you every day of your life, because He knows best how you should live your life, he has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to carry us through our trials and, and the crises of life that, that certainly are going to come our way at some point. Are you trusting Him for that? Are you at peace with God? If you're a Christian, are you at peace with God and sharing that peace with others? Have you put your trust in Jesus to help you share God's peace? I hope that you'll take this assignment very seriously. Whether you carry a card or not, are you, the, are you the, the light, are you the salt that you're supposed to be out in the world? Are you trying to influence people for Christ? And are you asking God to make that possible in an uncomfortable situation, in conversations that you don't feel qualified to have, and, and to express things in ways that, that maybe you, you're just kind of really getting out of your comfort zone to go do that for someone, but to say, God, this is important. This is what you want out of my life. This is what I need to do to see your kingdom come. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for me. And I hope that you'll be very genuine in this. I hope you'll be very sincere. Um, and if you are not at peace with God, that you will desire that peace. Maybe even if you're a believer and there's a lot of things going on in your life and there's no peace, it doesn't seem like peace, maybe that's your prayer. Maybe there's someone in particular that you already know needs Jesus and you're just not doing much at all to influence them. Whatever may be on your heart, I want you to pray with me and uh, let's pray as humbly and as sincerely as we can right now. Father, I just pray that you'll remove any distractions right now. Uh, keep, us, keep us from from really thinking about you, thinking about what you're trying to do in our lives, what you're trying to do in the lives of someone else around us. Lord, I first ask for peace. I ask for peace for those in this room that are not at peace with you. They've been, they've been fighting you. Maybe they've been rebelling against you. Maybe they've been ignoring you. I don't know why they're not at peace with you yet, but you know and they know. And I pray, Lord, today that their hearts would be opened. I pray that they would uh, surrender. They'd throw up their arms and say, I surrender. I give up. I yield myself. And uh, I pray, Lord, that they would be willing to repent, to turn from the ways of their lives that have, have uh, distanced them from you. I pray that there would be... Uh, just an honesty about all of this, a transparency to acknowledge their sin, to acknowledge their guilt, and to acknowledge their need for a Savior, for someone from outside to come in and rescue them and redeem them and restore them. Lord, if there's one person in that place today that needs peace with you, I pray they'll find it. There may be 10 or 20 here today, Lord, that need peace with you. May each of these people uh, be very honest and uh, sober before you right now. I pray for those that believe in you, that have already at some time made a decision to follow Jesus, but their lives are just 
almost hopeless. They're struggling today, Lord. The, the peace is gone. And uh, they really can, can identify with Longfellow's words, there is no peace on earth. Uh, I pray that you would bring peace to their hearts, that you would be the, the foundation, that you would be the, the one who brings comfort, who brings uh, uh, settledness, that would bring the uh, stability into their lives. They would realize that all those things that are troubling them, all those things that are overwhelming them right now are meaningless because you are sovereign and you are in charge, you are in control. And may they yield to you in a, in a way that is greater than they've ever yielded before. When they fret, when they worry, may they immediately remember there is no need for that because you are in control. I pray for those of us too, Lord, all of us who are Christians and the responsibility we have to carry this peace to the people around us. As we see their hopelessness, may we be like that, that New York City police officer who saw the man without any shoes and went down and bought him the finest pair of boots he could find and gave them. And may we realize the need and do something now, today, about those needs. And as we see a neighbor or a friend or a family member or a co-worker or a classmate who doesn't know Jesus, that we would begin to pray for them and we would begin to look for opportunities to serve them and to love them and to talk to them about you. And Lord, may there be victory after victory, not for us, but for your kingdom as people come to know you, to, to be at peace with you. Uh, this is a very serious thing, Lord, that we, we forget, we, we ignore. And I pray today that we would, would just humbly ask for your forgiveness and ask for your uh, strength to be able to, to share your peace with others. Uh, Lord, uh, your spirit wants to move in our lives. Your spirit wants to touch our hearts and create in us uh, an earnestness, a desire for you to serve you and to share you with others. Uh, may uh, peace really come on earth upon all whom your favor rests. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song together today that is uh, relatively new to us. Uh, it's a song of uh, joy, um, a song of praise for the Lord.